Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Sherry. Welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire podcast. We are back to Redwall again. Um, so chapter one of part two, not to be mixed up with chapter one of the whole book. Um, I'm not going to describe every time. Time there's a little art picture above the chapter, but this one is a very weird looking one. It's kind of looks Celtic knotish with animal faces and totally twisted together legs and tails in ways that don't work. And I think they're supposed to be weasels or stoats, but I'm not, I don't know for sure. And so on to the chapter itself. Matthias is waking up from his little nap next to the stream. Um, nice um, view of the sunset while he's doing that. Typical Brian Jakes. And then he realizes that he'd been sleeping away while Redwall was under attack. And so it's getting dark and he's just off you know, going angrily through the trees, um, hating himself for falling asleep like that, and he gets himself lost. And Not only that, night was closing in fast. And he's hearing weird noises, which wouldn't necessarily be any problem for us. But he's a mouse. Um, and he, he's getting pretty scared and he finds a old beech trunk that's been split by lightning and um, takes shelter in it. And he's also being hard on himself for being afraid of the dark and the noises as if he was a baby. Um... Which, you know how reasonable that is. Yeah. I said, he's a mouse. There could be owls out there. Or... Well, when I was young, I was afraid of the dark, too. So, it's understandable. And he hears a scratching noise, and he decides he's going to confront it. So, he pulls out the um, dagger he took from Shadow, and he calls in a gruff voice to come out and show himself if it's a friend. But if it's a rat, um, should start running, because it'll have to deal with... Matthias, the warrior of Redwall. And he's already uh, feeling braver for having confronted the noise instead. And um, he hears the noise again at his back and he turns around. And what he sees is a baby red squirrel sucking on his paw. And... You can't get any more innocent than that. Innocent, cute. Um, if you've ever seen a red squirrel, I mean, not not everywhere has them. And even the places that do have them, they tend to be a bit more hidden than the gray squirrels. They're tiny. They're cute. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he introduces himself to the baby squirrel, gives his name, and asks the what 
the squirrel's name is, and he just keeps sucking his paw. Do you have a mommy or um, daddy? And it nods its head, so uh, the uh, the baby isn't talking but can understand him. And he asks the baby squirrel if he's lost, and he shakes his head. And if he talks, shakes his head again. And whether he often wanders about like this at night. Um, and he nods. And then uh, Matthias says that he's lost. And he comes from Redwall Abbey. And all this time the squirrel's just sucking on the paw. And does he know where that is? And the baby squirrel nods. And Matthias asks if, you know, the baby squirrel can show him the way home and the baby squirrel nods and um, hops away into the woods and beckons for Matthias to follow him which Matthias does and the squirrel just keeps sucking along on his paw the whole time and Matthias follows the suckling suckling sound oh by the way uh uh little PSA. If you hear any noises in the background, we are accompanied by Nim and Edison and Sarmina, our pets. And uh, so... Yeah, Nim keeps showing me a ball that uh, she has, so... Anyhow, so back to the story. (laughs) Well, that ends the chapter, a very short one, and we are on to chapter two. Um, Abbot Mortimer is out on the grass and um, around him defenders are on the grass resting too. Um, they don't know when the rats are going to let up on the fighting but they're trying to you know, give the troops some sleep. Uh, Methuselah joins Abbot Mortimer and uh He uh, has noticed something a little strange about an old elm tree that is bordering the outside of the wall of Redwall Abbey. And he's noticing the wind is coming from a what, southerly direction, I believe? Yes. And. Uh, but the tree, it's uh, bending in the wrong direction for how the wind is blowing. With the well, the leaves and the yeah, the tree was going like east west instead of the leaves going north. I think or something. Anyhow, which uh, wasn't right, and that means somebody's using the tree for a purpose, and. So the abbot um, gets Constance and Winifred the otter. And Ambrose, Spike, and a few others to go check out what's going on, but quietly, and staying out of sight. Meanwhile, Clooney is up the tree with the rats and weasels and whatnot. Yeah, Clooney was in the tree, uh, Scrag was in the tree, I'm not sure who else was up, oh yeah, uh... I think Kilconey was there. Uh... Let's see. Cheese Thief was up there. 
and then some others. And they're struggling to balance the plank so that it reaches from the branch to the wall of the abbey, and they're kind of bungling with it and arguing. Constance and the, the defenders were um, hidden, but on the parapet. And while this is happening, yeah, Cheese Thief is messing up, and Clooney, like, is snapping at him and saying, you know, you're you're a buffoon, get Scrag to do it instead. So Cheese Thief is once again getting uh, pushed, aside. pushed aside in favor of Scrag, which is not to... Uh, and, and he's jealous of Scrag, and he really wants Scrag to not be taking his place in the pecking order. and uh, As a weasel, not even a rat. And yeah. So... He's trying to think of ways to get back at uh, Cheese Thief for, or at Scrag for being uh, more favored at the moment. And they, they get the plank into position, and once Clooney and some of the other rats, you know, they actually get onto the plank and start crossing over. And at that point, when they're all like, Clooney and some of the others, they're just, you know, midway between the tree and the abbey. No, no. Uh, Clooney was the only one on the plank, because Clooney instructed that there should only be one on the plank at a time. And Clooney said he was going to be first, and he would steady the plank for the others to follow. Which actually is a very non-cowardly moment for a Redwall villain. Yeah, um... And then Constance comes out of seemingly nowhere and gives the plank a kick and sends the plank and Clooney just falling down from the great height. And now that occurring, well the board didn't go all the way down was my understanding to start with. Uh, it, it went part of the way and then was caught but um, anyhow this accident caused, uh, let's see, uh, three rats and a ferret to die. Clooney was injured, um, and also injured was, um, oh, gee. Scrag. Oh, yeah. Scrag was injured because Scrag was actually pushed out of the tree by Cheese Thief. And so Cheese Thief, you know, had pushed Scrag. So Scrag was injured. And Clooney was injured. And, and yeah. They used the board to carry uh, Clooney back to um, the, the church, you know, or their camp. And meanwhile, Constance and Winifred and Ambrose, they're, they saw Clooney fall and they're wondering whether he survived it or not. Like, they thought realistically he wouldn't, but what if he did? Well, when, when Cheese Thief 
helped Clooney onto the board. He was being very careful because, you know, he was very injured. He even very gingerly laid his, his tail. tail alongside of him. Now the book is uh, a, li- a little less than a third done, so suffice it to say Clooney is not dead. Um, Clooney's not dead, but uh, we can go into his injuries in a little bit um, that we know of. But uh, anyhow, so Chief Thief sent the um, carriers to carry Clooney back to camp and said he was going to double back and um, help Sprag, who who was still laying there injured. But he's like sniggering to himself quietly while going back. Yeah, he had no intention of Sprag coming out of that alive because Sprag could say, well, yeah, I was shoved. I I didn't fall. I was shoved. Uh, So he needed that silenced. Um, And meanwhile, Matthias and uh the baby squirrel are almost back to the abbey. Um, they're outside of it. And they're within sight. Of this, and... Yeah. They're, they're within sight, but hiding. They're hiding in the bushes, so they are... They witness... Um, cheese thief finds Scrag, who is alive, but badly hurt. And... Cheese Thief offers to help Scrag offers to help Scrag sleep, yes, and he puts his foot on Scrag's neck and pushes down until he stops breathing. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And Matthias and Baby Squirrel are just watching this happen and, and they're mortified they just witnessed the murder. Um they wait until Cheese Thief is left again and um baby squirrel squirrel, yeah he goes up the up a tree um the same tree actually and gets himself on onto the abbey parapet using a thin branch because he's a squirrel and can do that he goes to get constance (laughs) to get the door open and there is there is a small door nearby and Sure enough, a little bit later, Constance is opening the small door and, uh, you know, brings Matthias inside. And there's a quick reading, but no explanations, as Constance wanted uh, Matthias to be brought to the main gate. So he, Constance brings Matthias to the main gate and they witness the horde retreating with Clooney on the board. Clooney's covered up, so... Because officially, Clooney is back at the camp, but even though he isn't, it's Red Tooth dressed in his armor. Yeah, well, he wasn't back at the camp. He was... Well, that's what they they want him to think, is that Clooney is at the camp... So that the Red Wallers will see Red Tooth in the distance wearing the armor and... Right. In his barbaric finery. Um, but... And Red Tooth was 
very much enjoying wearing that finery and hoped very much that Clooney would not survive and that finery would be his. But, uh, anyhow. Basically, all of his captains would like to, uh, be the leader. Of course. Anyhow, they all went, the horde, Red Tooth injured Clooney. They went back to uh, St. Ninian's church. And then Matthias was welcomed back. And Matthias goes to Cornflower and asks her, you know, how her dad is. And um, he's made a marvelous recovery and he's not staying in bed anymore. He's been helping on, on the wall. And Matthias has to bid Cornflower hasty goodbye because he goes to the abbot's room for an early morning conference. Um, and the abbot's there with Constance, Ambrose, Winifred, Formal, and the baby squirrel who's got himself a bowl of milk and honey which he's dipping his paw into and uh, sucking the milk off of his paw. <laughs> and um, he finds out the squirrel's name is Silent Sam and that his mother and father are f- old friends of the abbot and they'll just pick up his tracks and come back and collect him. And that the little squirrel has not spoken since he was born and that they've quote-unquote tried every remedy known to Redwall on him and none have worked so he was named Silent Sam and it, he knows Mossflower Wood like the back of his paw. Um, I don't know what they mean by every remedy. I don't know what a remedy to learn to speak quicker would be. I imagine they would be herbal remedies. Uh... But anyhow, um, Silent Sam will be addressed further along in the book, but anyhow, um, then, oh yeah, uh, Matthias tells about Basil Staghair and the Bull family, and, uh, so Basil Staghair was known to, I believe, Constance. Um, so, and they figured that, uh, Basil Staghair and the whole family would be arriving around lunchtime because Basil Staghair was known never to miss a meal if, uh, he could help it. And, well, I should, I should mention that actually this came up before the conference, but um, along with the uh, wondering whether Clooney had lived or not, um, some of the Red Wallers wanted to attack the retreating rats and you know finish them off once and for all. Which uh, it probably would have been the militarily ad- advantageous, but. These are creatures of honor. They're not going to... Yeah, and out of fairness, you don't attack a retreat. Exactly. Army. 
Now, how well that would have even worked, considering exactly how many rats are back at the... Maybe it wouldn't have worked so well after all, but... These are, this is Red... This is Redwall. They're not going to do that. And also, the abbot didn't think they were going to come back and attack again. After how badly hurt and or dead... Um, Cooney was and... Um, Anyhow, Constance, uh, had a differing opinion. He, Constance did think that they would be back, and she gave reason as to why that would happen, because he would lose both face and credibility to the army, and word would spread that Clooney was not invincible, so... Clooney... And moreover, he'd been beaten by mice. Yeah. So Clooney was definitely going to... Even if it was his last thing he ever did, he was he was going to be back. Uh, and so... The abbot... Uh, assigned Constance, Matthias, Winifred, Ambos, and Formal to be in charge of Redwall in the event of a second attack. And the abbot said he would concern himself with the injured and feeding the hungry. Because uh, he's an abbot, he's a creature of peace. War is not his thing. He's certainly not a one who knows about planning wars and battles. Um, But, and he also told uh, Matthias that Brother Methuselah was in the Great Hall and wanted to talk with him. And that uh, ends chapter two. Um, chapter three, we're back to Clooney, and he is on his bed, and it goes into um, detail about his injuries. He has a broken arm, he has a broken leg, bunch of cracked ribs, broken tail, not broken off, but, you know, the tailbone broken. Um, smashed claws and other hurts not yet diagnosed. And he is in his bed in crippling pain. Um, so and I want to take the ball out into the hall and Nim can uh, play with it out there. Where'd it go? Right here. Okay. Yeah, Nim is being a little playful right now. And, uh, hey, Pop, come on. She could uh, use a little break and to play with her come on, new, ball. new ball. Oh, and she says, I don't know about that. Oh, she's going for that ball. Come on, I got the ball. But, uh, anyhow, so Clooney is in pain. Uh, the, upon returning to, uh, the church and the churchyard, they certainly discovered that the Bull family had, you know, gone. They had been released. And the 12 guards who were supposed to be in charge of watching the churchyard and keeping the Bull family locked up, uh, they, as, as soon as the hut was repaired, uh, they were locked into the hut and ordered to be starved until further notice. Um, and it's mentioned that that's um, Red Tooth had given these orders, and that was actually the easier way Clooney would have 
killed them all personally. That's right. Red Poop had been lenient. Um. And Clooney, while well, he's still unconscious, asleep, is having a nightmare where he sees um, Ragier with his um, gruesome swollen up face from the snake bite. Um, a rat skeleton dressed in Clooney's battle armor, a huge hair with enormous feet, and a thick-bodied, venomous-looking banded snake. And he's falling toward them and trying to twist away, but he can't. And then he sees the fierce-eyed warrior mouse holding the sword point upward to, for him to impale upon. And um, Clooney wants to scream, but he can't. And then he feels the sword pierce his chest, and uh, the bell rings and he wakes up and he's not dead and what he's actually feeling is um, one of the rats is trying to pick a piece of the stick that's sticking into his chest out. It's one of the branches that Clooney had hit on the way down and it had pierced him. And while this was happening uh, the leaderless horde that was in the churchyard was were doing nothing to reorganize. They they were just like, okay, we have nothing to do, so we're not going to do anything. Um, so nobody was taking the initiative to reorganize and and prepare for anything coming up. Not at that point, anyhow. And Clooney orders Fangburn to go and get some of the new recruits that live in the area, and bring them to him and. Um, Fangburn gets some of the recruits over, and right away, Clooney's like, where's Scrag the Weasel? And she's Thief is there, being all fake sad. Oh, don't you remember? He fell out of the tree, and I went back to help him, but he was already dead. Two lies. First one, he was pushed out of the tree, not fell. And second of all, he wasn't dead when he returned. He killed him. Yep. And, uh, Clooney tells him to shut up, and, um... Ask the recruits um, where a healer can be found, not one of those mice, a creature that knows the old ways. A healer. Yes. One who can cure anything from the, for the right price. And um, he actually, he uses the word gypsy to um, talk about the healer. Now... A lot of people, you know, writers from, like, further back used um, that name. It is considered a slur by many Roma people. Um, and considering um, how much overlap there is between the characters it's um, referring to here and some anti-Roma stereotypes that exist in real life, it isn't great. Um, uh, the only time it's ever used again is towards some later characters that are much more positive characters in the same book. Um, for them being wanderers. Which, once again, not everybody who is a wanderer I mean, it's because Roma were also called travelers, still are, but, and it's not used again 
in the rest of the series. Now, whether it's um, Brian trying to be better with this or just, you know, not using real-world references anymore. You know, Mossflower being its own thing. Well, anyway... Kilconey says he knows the very vixen to help and that there's a whole tribe of them living in the meadow and her name is Sela and her son Chickenhound and they're the ones that Clooney should be looking for. And does he want them to go and fetch those foxes and Clooney reaches his broken tail out and wraps it around the ferret's neck and pulls him close and says to find the foxes and bring them. And meanwhile, Red Tooth was sent to get the other, uh, the rest of the horde basically to uh, find something suitable for a battering ram, create it, and get it ready. And yeah, Clooney is totally preparing to attack the mice again. He's not going to give up that easily. And that's the end of chapter 3. On to chapter 4, Methuselah is in the abbey where the tapestry had been you know, taken out. And he's filling in the letters that he found there. There are just indentations in the wall with ink so they can be more easily read. And Matthias goes over to help him and... Um, uh, they're both, you know, working on filling in these letters. And and it's in the form of a poem, and it's also a riddle. Um, and they're both drinking October ale, because drinking age isn't really a thing in Redwall. Uh, <laughs> and the poem is, Who says that I am dead knows not at all. I am the is, two mice within Redwall. The warrior sleeps twixt hall and cavern hall. I am that is. Take on my mighty role. Look for the sword in moonlight streaming forth. At night when day's first hour reflects the north. From o'er the threshold seek and you will see. I am that is. My sword will wield for me. For me. And... Um, yeah, Matthias says, what's this mean? It looks like a riddle and... Methuselah says that precisely it is a riddle and they will solve it together and he's sent for more food and drink and they're going to stay there until they have the answer. Cornflower comes up with um, some food and milk and she's about to talk to Matthias and Methuselah shoes her away and says that Matthias needs a clear brain to help solve an important problem so she should run along. Rude. And Cornflower winks at Matthias and walks away. Now Methuselah tells Matthias that they will stay there until it's solved. Yeah. Even though there is you know, a battle that could occur whenever, you know. Uh, this is funny. Methuselah takes a sip of milk and he makes a face and just reaches right for the ale again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they 
So they're discussing the riddle, and Matthias is asking him, does that mean that Martin is alive and walking about? Because the poem says, if we suppose that he is dead, that they know nothing at all. Um, it's Methuselah who points this out, so Matthias is like, Martin is alive and walking about, we'd recognize him, unless he's disguised as someone else. And uh, Methuselah says he never looked it that way, and that's a good good one, and so they're going through it bit by bit. Um, uh, two mice, or two mice and one, two mice within red wall, and how the poem just keeps going back to I am that is. And Matthias says that sounds all mixed with, up. With a dash. Yeah, there's a dash in between I and M. So it's I am that is. And Methuselah is, is studying M that is. And, you know, counting the letters. And, um. There, there's ten letters. No, eight letters. I'm sorry. Eight letters. And, uh. And then he starts getting really, really overexcited and, and, um, chanting Matthias, I am, I the am, Matthias, you the are, and, um, Matthias is confused why he's acting that way and actually thinks he might be getting a little, um, senile, and... And Methuselah is quite old. Yes. But not senile. Not at all. And Matthias is like, why are you so excited? Why are you saying my name? And Methuselah explains that I am that is, is Matthias, the name mixed up with the letters. Not not the I part, but am that is. is. So it's I, Matthias. Yeah, am that is. So uh, Matthias and am that is, you mix the letters around, you can go back and forth. Um, and then they go on to the next lines, which are pretty straightforward. The warrior sleeps twixt hall and cavern hole. I am the is. Take on my mighty role. So, basically, um, Martin somehow knew that he would live on through Matthias. And um, there's something Matthias has to do, um, which, in the context of this story, uh, you know deal with the war and getting rid of Clooney, right? And, um... So, so they go on to focus on the next lines, which Trix Hall and Cavern Hall. Yes. And Matthias, I believe, points out there's a flight of stairs in between uh, the hall and the Cavern Hall. And so... You know, they both go to the stairs to see what it is. And remember, nobody actually knew where Martin had been buried when he died, so... But it's it's a flight of seven stairs. And on the wall, on either side... Um, red wall, red wall, so you can read it going up or down the stairs. Right. And... Um, Matthias points out that right in the exact center is the letter W, 
And if you flip that upside down, it's M for Martin, M for Matthias, and even M for Methuselah. Right. And these these stairs, they're not just like wooden stairs like you might have in your house. These are stone. Uh, and they checked out these stairs, you know, as much as you might if you were looking at stone stairs. Yeah, but then they're like, yeah, we need moles. <laughs> yeah. So they get in the... The mole's formal because he's an excavation, you know, expert at this, and he checks out the stairs and. And he has a team of moles with him. Um, he he gets out his tools, and like he uses like a little broom sort of thing, and he he sweeps the stair, the middle stair, very carefully, very cleanly to get, you know. All the dust or dirt that might be there out. And he said that his grandmother um, found these kind of stairs when... Walton Dobby's grandmother did. Yes. But... When exploring old um, castle or fortification. And that this stair could somehow be pulled out and flipped over without actually digging or breaking it. And they did actually, when he swept it, he found... Uh, Formal found cracks, I believe, along the edges of the stair um, that, you know, the the broom had, you know, cleared the dust out of so they were visible. And, yeah, they take... And they grease it, I believe. (coughs) They grease it, and they have a strong, thin bar with one end flattened like a spatula, so I'm picturing like a crowbar, but straight. Right. And they're they're moving. They actually do move the stair. And um, they have a mole rhyme for moving the stair. Hershey, come, if and you please. Move in boulder, sloyd on grease. Um, I, I'm trying to remember whether I uh, discussed mole speech yet. You know, the moles have very thick mole accents, which are apparently based on a Somerset accent, um, according to Brian Jakes. And it's, it's unique. And maybe we'll do a podcast sometime during all this where we talk about the various ways various critters speak. The moles have a particular way, like Basil Stag hair. He has a particular yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so uh, the moles, they have their rhyme and they um, pull out the stone with their spatula bar and the grease and they reveal a dark opening with a downward flight of stairs running off into the blackness below. So that's a bit of cliffhanger there and the end of the chapter. But we are going to do the next chapter. So chapter five, Sealer the Vixen has come and she's patching up Clooney with all her herbs and selves, but she's also putting on a bit of a show of spells and magic, which... They called it uh, jumbo, mumbo, mumbo jumbo. Jumbo, yeah, her and magic is... Phony. This isn't really a series that has much in the way of magic exactly, but she's putting on a show because, you know, that improves her reputation with... And and Clooney wasn't fooled by that at all. 
but you know she had she had patched up the other wounded um and Clooney I'm sure Clooney was the first one to be patched uh but and she also gave them sleeping herbs or something to help them ease the pain and rest more comfortably but Clooney doesn't want to drink his because you know he wants to keep an eye on her and um Sela is actually hoping that she's going to get some loot and plunder from Redwall out of this um because as is the case Clooney was right that you know, there was a price that, you know, she had in mind. Um, but... But Clooney is, you know, he did drink some kind of potion because he fell, he's falling asleep. Um, and he's lulled by the, the chanting. But it says he would have come awake like a scorched tiger if he'd known what she was actually up to. And she was a counter-spy um, who wants to get secrets and sell secrets to both sides. And this is by nature, not just now. By nature she was. And, you know, she was looking all around during her time there. And, you know, she knew... How many were injured? How many weren't injured? How many of different uh, species of animals were in this horde? She saw the rats trying to gnaw down a tall tree and correctly guessed that they were going to use that for a battering ram. Anyhow, um, she wanted to leave to get her stock of herbs. Um... But Redtooth had been told, no, she cannot leave. Basically, the sick room was what he was told. But Clooney was, you know, out from the herbs. So, uh, Sela? Sela, yeah. She, uh, argued with him that if she doesn't have the herbs to treat him and to ease his pain um, he's going to wake up not only in a lot of pain but raging infections and and he's going to be very angry and he's, he's going to blame Redtooth because she couldn't get him yeah, I actually made a small mistake here when I said that um, Clooney didn't want to drink the potion there is a chapter when that happens but it's not now he right um, and Red Tooth says, yeah, he, she can go out and tell her assistant, her son Chickenhound, to run the errand. And while she's going out to tell, he's going to be right there with a cutlass blade right at her side. And if she makes a false move, she's dead. And Clooney, um, Sela smiles and is like, sure, your friend can come along. I've got nothing to hide. And she goes out into the churchyard. And her son, Chicken Hound, is sleeping on a tombstone, sounding himself. And she starts saying, oh, I need this and I need that, and, you know, various things. And she winks to her son, and he winks back, and, um... she's like, oh, my list is too long, you know, I need to write this down for you. And, uh, she asks for writing materials, um... And, like, yeah, her list is snake work. 
cuckoo spit, a medium eel skin, three fine strips of willow bark, so much to remember. And Fangburn doesn't have writing materials, you know? How many how many warriors out there on the the field, whatever, have, you know, paper and pen or whatever might be used? <laughs> Anyhow, she's like, oh, well, you know, she will use... I believe many of them can't read either. Um. Right? She'll use a piece of bark and a burnt twig to write with on the bark. And... Um, uh. Obviously, she's not really sending him for those materials. And Fangburn can't read, or you know, or either that, or she hid. Well, she hid it from his eyesight while she wrote this list because it wasn't a list of herbal remedies and such. Um, but she gave. Wonder what they use the eel skin for anyway. I don't know. The willow bark, I mean, that's like what early aspirin would have come from. That makes sense. Um, But she gave the list to Chicken Hound with instructions to hurry back. And Chicken Hound, as soon as he's out of sight, he opens that scroll up and it's actually a message to the abbot to um, saying that they know information about Clooney and how... The how, when, and where... And how? What price would he give for this information? And and so, uh, Chicken Hound, you know, I think kind of chuckles, and he ambles on to Redwall. And he recalls his mom's favorite saying: "I've sold hens their own eggs back, and stolen the whiskers from farmyard dogs." And that is the end of the chapter. And that is the end of today's podcast, and uh, we will continue on with it very soon. Um, I think we've covered it fairly thoroughly, but is there anything of those chapters you've got anything more to say about? Um, not at the moment, no, but I, I do look forward to, you know, continuing on with this, and I hope that our listeners will like us, follow us, uh, tell others about us. If there's anything you'd like to say about our podcast. And feel feel free to review, message our Facebook. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us, yeah. A lot, a lot of you know us, and if you don't know us, you know, we'd like to get to know you. Thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire podcast, and have a good evening. Bye-bye.